0: Is your image of Jesus too small? I know mine is. I find it much easier to relate to the Jesus uh, who hung out with his disciples on the Sea of Galilee. And that's okay. But we also need to remind ourselves of this other, whole other facet of Jesus Jesus, the glorious creator God, who deserves our worship. Hi, and welcome to the Northridge Vineyard Evening Community Podcast. We're a church community in Sydney, Australia, who are passionate about pursuing God together and seeing the world changed by His love. We hope this message challenges and inspires you. For more talks and other resources, please visit our website, www.northridge.org.au. Hello. Thanks for inviting me into your living room today on this eighth Sunday of lockdown, Uh, If I haven't had a chance to meet you before, my name is Mandy Anderson. I'm part of the evening community. I've been going to evenings for about five years now, I think. And before that, I came along in the mornings. I've been lurking around the corridors of Northridge for about, for a bit over 20 years now. So I'm one of the old timers. Um, I have two sons. You may well have met my older, amazing son, Samuel. Sam Taubman. uh He's involved in youth and various other bits and pieces. And uh, my younger son Josh is living and studying in Canberra at the moment. Uh, during the week I divide my time between uh, teaching science at a high school and also studying at Moreland College doing a Masters of Ministry. Uh, living in my house is Sam and me and a little nine-week-old puppy at the moment called Caleb. So he is currently playing at my feet. So if you hear a few weird noises in the background or if I suddenly squeal, it's because he's just had a gnaw on my toe. Hopefully he's going to behave himself. All right, so let's get going. Last week, Chris gresham kicked off our series on the book of Colossians, by doing a teaching in the book of Philemon. Well, it seems a little crazy, I know, but Chris did this for a very good reason. He always has a good reason for the things he does. As it turns out, the letters of Philemon and Colossians were written at the same time, and they were both delivered to the church in Colossae at the same time. So reading them both together gives us a really much richer understanding of the message of both those books. And so that's why we're looking at them together. So this is the first week that we're actually looking at the Book of Colossians. So I thought I'd give you some uh, quick background trivia about the town of Colossae and the church So uh, if you want to do really well, if you want to win the next Northridge Trivia Night, you might want to start taking notes because I know these kind of things are always top of the trivia quiz questions. Okay, here we go. Colossae was a small town in what is now modern-day Turkey. Uh, It used to be a pretty important trading town because it was on the crossroads. It was at the crossroads of two major trading routes, uh, and so it was a pretty multicultural town. As it turns out, not long before Paul wrote this letter, uh, one of the, those trading routes was bypassed around Colossae, um, and so it became a bit of a backwater. So there you go. Uh, freeway bypasses were a thing even in Roman times. The church in Colossae was founded by a guy called Epaphras, was a disciple and co-worker of Paul. The book of Colossians that we're about to, or well, we are studying, is actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Colossae. he had never been there and he had never met the, the people of Colossae. Um, you can go to Colossae today, however, you'll be rather disappointed because all that it is, is a big Uh, grass-covered mound in some farmer's field. It's never been excavated. Uh, So a little bit of background to the actual letter. Scholars think that the church in Colossae was being influenced by some false teachers, and so one of the motivations for Paul to write this letter was to uh, address some of these false teachings. And to make sure that the the people in the church got uh, got a really good, clear description and teaching on the gospels, or on the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Um, and as I said Colossians and Philemon were written at the same time delivered to Colossae at the same time so the themes of reconciliation that Chris spoke about last week in Philemon we're going to see echoes of those throughout Colossians as we study them in future weeks so look out for those So we're kicking off our time in Colossians by looking at a passage today in Colossians chapter 1. So grab your Bibles. Sorry, can you you hear my dog and the squeaky toy? I apologize. Uh, I'm just going to push through. Grab your Bible um, so you can follow along. This is a really meaty passage. There's a lot in there. so I really hope that your morning coffee or your afternoon sugar fix have kicked in so that you can really concentrate on all that's going on. Um, I've asked the wonderful Ruth Chilton to read this passage for us because she's got a much she's got a beautiful reading voice. It'll be much more pleasant to listen to Ruth than to listen to me reading this. So here is Ruth reading Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through to 23. Take it away, Ruth.
1: Hello, my name is Ruth, and I'm going to be reading to you today from the letter to the Colossians, chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. The supremacy of the Son of God. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God, and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. That is, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Thank you. I'll now hand you back to Mandy.
0: Thanks, Ruth. That's great. Uh, There is so much gold which we could mine in this passage, uh, but we don't have all day, so I want to focus on the highlights. There's four things I want us to talk about together today. Uh, The first thing is we're going to have a look at this picture that Paul paints for us of Jesus in um, Colossians. And then we're going to look at the theme of reconciliation and deal with three things within that theme of reconciliation. We're going to first of all have a look at um, why reconciliation is needed in the first place. And then we're going to see what this passage tells us about who or what is reconciled. And finally, we're going to have a think about uh, what this means for us today. How does this information change how we're going to live our lives this week? So, first of all, who's this Jesus we meet in Colossians chapter 1? In the original Greek, these verses are actually a poem probably based on him and they are so rich in imagery and in structure um there is so much there which really speaks to how profound the message in these verses 15 to 20 are um telling us about who Jesus is the Jesus we meet here uh is so much more than the than the Jesus who was roaming around Israel 2,000 years ago with his disciples. Although that Jesus was amazing. um, I'm not discounting the the Jesus um, who lived in Israel 2,000 years ago. He was phenomenal. But the Jesus of Colossians shows us another side of Jesus the Messiah. He is the image of God, and all God's fullness dwells in him, All things, as in the whole universe, were created in him. All things were created through him, and all things were created for him. Not only that, but he holds all things together, from atoms to galaxies. So Jesus is central to everything. Wow. Is your image of Jesus too small? I know mine is. I find it much easier to relate to the Jesus uh, who hung out with his disciples on the Sea of Galilee, and that's okay. But we also need to remind ourselves of this other whole other facet of Jesus, Jesus, the glorious creator God who deserves our worship, The Jesus, who we call friend, is also the one who was with God when the universe was created. And this Jesus is even now enthroned with him. He rightly deserves our worship. So the passage then goes on to talk about reconciliation. Verse 20 tells us that Jesus has reconciled all things, things on earth and things in heaven. So I feel as though we've missed something here. We've gone from Jesus being the creator and having supremacy in verses 15 to 18 And then we hit verse 20, and there's a need for reconciliation. So something must have gone terribly wrong. To figure out what, we need to go back to the beginning of the Bible to see what happened. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. This is a story which is familiar to most of us, and uh, I'm going to give a really quick summary of it. Uh, in case you're not familiar with it. But if, if you haven't read this part of the Bible before, I really encourage you to take a bit of time and go back and read it for yourself because I can't do it justice in these few minutes here. So we start in Genesis chapter 1 with God together with Jesus creating the universe and then creating humanity. Everything was in perfect harmony. God walked among his creation in the cool of the evening and with Adam and Eve. What a beautiful portrayal of how the world should be. But then we get to chapter 3 and things go very wrong. The serpent convinces Eve and then Adam to eat forbidden fruit. In one bite, in one act of rebellion, the universe which Jesus created which had been in perfect relationship with him, is torn asunder. The consequences are curses that have echoes down throughout history. So it's important to notice what was actually cursed. It turns out two things are cursed. So let's have a look. In Genesis 3, verse 14, it says, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, deceived Adam and Eve, cursed are you above all livestock and above all animals. And we find the second thing that was cursed a few verses later in verse 17. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. So it's the ground, not humanity, that is cursed as a result of the fall, as a result of Adam and Eve, rebellion against God. It's all of creation that is now cursed. And uh, this is echoed in Romans chapter 8 when Paul tells us that all creation is in bondage to decay. So it's not only humans that have been alienated from God, but all of creation. Because of sin, the whole universe now needs to be reconciled with God. All right, let's now go back to Colossians chapter 1 now that we see that it's the whole world, all of creation that needs to be reconciled. Let's go back to Colossians 1 and see what happens. In verse 20, we read that through Jesus, he, God, has reconciled to himself all things. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus' death has a much broader implication than we sometimes think of it as having. Yes, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross made a way for you and for me and for all humanity uh, to be reconciled to God, and that's vitally important. We're going to spend uh, some time over the next couple of Sundays looking at that aspect of reconciliation. But just as the verses that we looked at a few minutes ago called us to expand our vision of Jesus as the co-creator of the universe, the one who holds the universe together even now, we also need to expand our understanding of Jesus' victory on the cross. All of creation is now reconciled to God through what Jesus did on the cross. It is now in restored relationship to Him. And this was always God's intention. So, humanity's reconciliation, let me start that again, humanity's reconciliation to God leads to creation's reconciliation also, just as humanity's sin led to the fall. Okay, hold on a minute, Mandy, I hear you saying. The world is not looking particularly reconciled and restored right now. I've been stuck in my house for eight weeks. A big day out is a trip to Bunnings. The news is full of pandemics, devastating fires and wars, to name but a few. As it turns out, this new creation... Was inaugurated by Jesus dying on the cross, but it's not yet fully realized. We're in this in between time. Just like in American politics, the new president is elected in November, but he doesn't step into the Oval Office and start governing until January. And so there's that intervening time when we know who the new president is going to be, but he hasn't taken up his reigns of authority in December. Right now, the universe is in December. Jesus has won the victory on the cross, but he's not fully taken up his office as king of the universe. But there is no doubt that Jesus is sovereign. He has won the victory on the cross. The world is yet to catch up. So, what will this new creation, this reconciled world, look like? There are a lot of descriptions in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, and so I just want to have a quick look at one, or two, at a few of them. First of all, in Revelation chapter twenty-one, so we're going from the very beginning of the Bible to the very end of the Bible. Uh, in Revelation twenty-one verses three to six, we've got a vision of what the restored world will look like, and it says, let me open it up. I heard, oh, my computer's not working. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. And then just a bit further on in Revelation 22, verse 3, we're told that there will no longer be any curse. So the curse has been broken. And then we can go back to the Old Testament, and this is actually – a passage that Jesus quoted himself at the beginning of his ministry, but we're going to read it in Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 3, says, The Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. So this is what a reconciled universe looks like. My heart longs for this time. So What What do we do in the meantime? While I'm waiting for this new creation to fully come into being, how do I react and respond today? So it's our job as those who long for this new creation to partner with God into bringing it into being. Um, N.T. Wright puts it really well. He says... The logic of this message requires those who announce it should be seeking to bring Christ's lordship to bear on every area of human and worldly existence. Christians must work to help create conditions in which human beings and the whole created world can live as God always intended. There is a whole range of ethical norms which God built into his world. Respect for persons and property, maintenance of family life and of the ecological order of creation, justice between individuals and groups. Christians must be in the forefront of those working to promote such causes. Many opportunities to speak about Jesus will occur in the undertaking of such work as it becomes clear that the gospel provides a coherent and satisfying underpinning for those standards which uphold and enhance a truly human life. Now, thankfully, we are not expected to solve the problems of the world all on our own. Remember, Jesus has already done that. He's already uh, had the victory on the cross. But right at the moment, uh, Jesus does ask us to bring some of this new created order into our sphere of influence. At the moment, your sphere can feel pretty small, um, seeing as we're spending most of our time at home. But I challenge you this week to spend some time with God. I've loved walking and talking with friends over the past couple of months and really deepening relationships, spending time with friends one-on-one and engaging in conversation, why don't you go on a walk with God this week? Spend some time worshipping him, the creator of the universe, and your friend. Then take the time to listen to him. Ask him how he would like you to be his ambassador this week. Ask him to put something or someone on your heart and then choose to do something really uh, concrete. Actually choose to act out your faith by finding a way to bring some of God's new creation into being this week. And uh, I'd love to hear how you go. So please get in touch with me. I'd love to hear stories of you bringing new creation into this world of ours thanks a lot